0: The sad You know I break next, call me Jack Tate. I have no regrets while your life is fading. I'm a crazy fuck equivalent to Satan. When I'm behind the mic, I feel like the greatest. You know I break next, call me Jack Tate. I have no regrets while your life is fading. I'm a crazy fuck equivalent to Satan. When I'm behind the mic, I feel like the greatest. What up, y'all? You're listening to Sports Talk with TROP, and I'm your host, Katie TROP. Uh, well, in the NBA this week, it was all about Luka Doncic and LeBron James. Those two have been just absolutely dominating this week. So let's get right into the NBA. Uh, beginning with the M- Monday night, we actually didn't have Luka or LeBron in the game that we're going to discuss. They are a little bit later in the show. But uh, Monday night, the Miami Heat absolutely dominated the Sacramento Kings 121-110. to 110. Uh, What really stood out in this game is that the Miami Heat actually had three suspensions in this game. One of those suspensions included Jimmy Butler. So you kind of expected the Kings to absolutely dominate this game, and it really was just straight domination by a Miami from start to finish. Bam Adebayo ended up with a double-double. He had 28 points and 10 rebounds and 7 assists, and uh, Jaime Jaquez Jr., he is the rookie standout for the Miami Heat this year. He added in 26 points. And, uh, I mean, he's really gone off this year. He's obviously not going to win the Rookie of the Year because we have Victor Wembanyama, of course, having an amazing season. And then Chet Holmgren with the Oklahoma City Thunder also having a phenomenal season. So, Jaquez is not going to get any of that Rookie of the Year talk. Although he should because he has been having a really, really solid year for the Miami Heat. Anytime he is asked to take over a role, he has stepped right up to the occasion and just dominated, just like he did in this game. And like I said, the Miami Heat dominated the Kings. It wasn't even close. And the Kings had their full force of uh, of players in in this one, but uh, they just weren't able to get it going. Miami got the big win. Then on Tuesday night, the Cleveland Cavaliers got a huge 121 to 119 win over the Dallas Mavericks, Max Struess. Had the game-winning half-court shot. Uh, the uh, the Mavericks had a one-point lead, and uh, Struess just threw it up with a, a couple seconds left to go on the clock, and boom, uh, makes the uh, the game-winning miracle shot uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, but Luka Doncic, he dominated this game, even though uh, the uh, the Mavs lost. He had forty-five points and 14 assists and 9 rebounds. So he almost had a triple-double, just missed out on it, ended up with a double-double. Kyrie Irving also dropped 30 points, uh, but Donovan Mitchell on the other side of the court, he had 31 points. It was a huge um, uh, de- deflating loss for the for the Mavericks just because they actually had a pretty solid lead uh, going into the fourth quarter in this one, and then Cleveland just uh, ended up going on a nice little run, scoring something like 10 points in a, in a couple of minutes. And uh, then Dallas would just completely deflate towards the end there. And Cleveland would just uh, heave up the game winner and uh, walk away with the win. Then on Wednesday night, Dallas actually bounced back against the Toronto uh, Toronto Raptors. They got the win 136-125. to 125. This was actually on Luka Doncic's birthday. He uh, scored a triple-double. He ended up with a double-double the night before and a loss. Well, he went for a triple-double in a win. 30 points, 16 assists, and 11 rebounds on his birthday. And then Kyrie Irving came right in and dropped another 29 points. So the Dallas Mavericks, uh, they were able to get a win the following night. And then the Lakers... Same night on Wednesday, uh, had a huge game against the Clippers. Clippers were pretty much dominating the entire game. The Lakers were actually down by 21 points at one point in the fourth quarter. And then LeBron fucking James went off for 19 points in the fourth quarter, ended up with a stat line of 34 points, 18, or I'm sorry, eight assists and six rebounds, and uh, just completely took over this game. And the Lakers got the win, 116-112. to 112. Like I said, Huge collapse for the Clippers on this one because they had a 21-point lead go, going into the fourth quarter, and LeBron just took over, and it was. It was a one-man show from LeBron James, and uh, the Lakers weren't uh, walking away with a loss in that one, and they got the win. Then on Thursday night, speaking of big losses, the San Antonio Spurs dominated the Oklahoma City Thunder 132-118. to Victor Wembanyama continuing his insane season. He had 28 points. 13 rebounds, 7 assists and 5 blocks on the night. And it was straight domination by the Spurs. I mean, the final score says it, but I mean really, they, the Spurs just dominated this this really good Oklahoma City Thunder team. Uh but uh Victor Wembanyama just put on a huge show last night and got the win. And then um this wasn't really a a noteworthy game. There's really only one noteworthy thing from it and that is the Lakers won. Uh, against the Washington Wizards last night, 134 to 131. What's of note in this game is that LeBron James dropped 31 points, and now he is only nine points away from hitting the 40,000 career point mark, which has never happened in the NBA. He will be the first ever to reach 40,000 career uh, points. And obviously it's going to go further because who knows how much longer LeBron is going to play. I mean, they're saying this dude's going to possibly play another three seasons, which would just really put this this record way out of reach for most people. Uh, but uh, that was really the main noteworthy thing. Of course, Anthony Davis also had a phenomenal game last night. He had a double-double, 40 points and 15 rebounds. Uh, so he's been really solid in the games that he needs to be solid in. But uh, really the noteworthiness... Was uh, LeBron nine points away from forty thousand points career points, so he should be hitting that uh, that forty thousand point plateau at some point over the weekend, I would imagine. All right, and uh, now we don't have a lot of sports to discuss because it, we're in sports fan purgatory at this point. So uh, I've uh, had to create some of my uh, lists, and I've got uh, a big one, and it's not only just a big one, but it's going to cover a, a few. Uh, consecutive Fridays here. Uh, so, you know, I did mention in the last show that I actually started uh, re-watching all of the Super Bowls uh, fr- from the past, and uh, I'm actually on uh, Super Bowl 19. Yeah, I'm going to be on 19 uh, right now. So uh, that's that's where I'm at. But uh, re-watching the Super Bowls, it's really cool to see some of these, uh, these old guys that you just you aren't that familiar with because you didn't grow up with them. Now I'm familiar with them because... I've, you know, been obsessed with football since as long as I can remember, and I have rewatched all these Super Bowls. I have every Super Bowl on DVD, including last year's Super Bowl, um, or Blu-ray DVD or Blu-ray. I know they're not; it's not cool to collect those anymore. But I couldn't give a shit what is cool. Um, I started collecting them, and now it's just kind of like, uh, why stop? Um, and I don't just collect them to have them in a collection. I collect them so I can actually watch them every once in a while, and so. Uh, you know, we had the writer's strike going on. So there's not a lot of new TV out and there's not a lot of sports currently on right now. So I actually started rewatching the Super Bowls uh, like the week before Super Bowl 58, just because I, I figured that's going to take up some of my time uh, in my uh, my free time when I when I feel like just sitting around vegging out and watching some TV. And so with that, I've, uh, you know, just Seen some great players, and uh, I know a lot of people in today's day and age wouldn't even be familiar. They might be familiar with the name, but they're not even aware of how good some of these guys are. So what I'm going to actually do is uh, I'm going to do the top 10 NFL GOATS beginning with the 1960s, and I'm going to move on to the 70s next week, the 80s the following week, 90s, and the 2000s and the 2010s. Um, until we uh, we t- until we get to it, uh, just because there's so many great um, NFL players to highlight, um, and you know we we mostly just talk about current guys, you know, as we should. But I feel like a lot of these guys from back in the day should absolutely be highlighted, um, and they usually don't get highlighted, and so I'm going to highlight them. And so today we're going to start with the top ten. NFL goats of the 1960s and so these are basically just guys who were either of course Super Bowl winners not all of them are Super Bowl winners uh, but the majority of them are Super Bowl winners Um, their teams were were great at one point Uh, they were the face of the league at one point Uh, they really just dominated for whatever reason at their position this is numerous positions as well I didn't just choose quarterbacks or just running backs it's It's a mixture of every single uh, type of football player you want. And so uh, these guys, they either just dominated in their era or they won a lot of Super Bowls or they just were the dominating face of the league at that point. So we're going to start with the 1960s. And so these are the top 10 NFL GOATs of the 1960s, beginning with number 10, Gale Sayers, uh, the running back of the Chicago Bears, he played from 1965 to 1971. So you're going to see some of these guys are going to lap and in, overlap into the 70s, but I'm pretty much just going to be talking about what they did in the 60s. Uh, Gale Sayers is by far one of the greatest running backs of all time. Uh, as a matter of fact, if he did not suffer through so many injuries, um, if he had actually played in today's day and age, um, he, he probably, he would have lasted a lot longer just because he suffered so many brutal knee injuries and they didn't have the same type of, um, recovery and surgeries that they do now. Cause you know, uh, back in the day, tearing an ACL, it used to be a career ending type of injury. Now you tear all three ligaments and you're back the next season that happened. That's just because of the, uh, the advancements in medicine and surgeries and um and and physical therapy and all that kind of stuff but gale sayers unfortunately suffered way too many injuries throughout his career and that's why you hear about him but you don't hear about him like like you you should um i feel like he would be on the same level as a jim brown um if he didn't suffer so many injuries but uh, i mean even even so this guy was electric when he hit the field um and he just was one of the top running backs in the game in the 60s. His career uh, yards are 4,956 rushing yards, 39 touchdowns, 1,307 receiving yards, nine receiving touchdowns. And then he also was a kick and punt returner. He ended up with 3,172 return yards and eight return touchdowns. So the guy was an all around. He didn't just do running back. He also did. Uh, he was also just fantastic in the, uh, the kick return game. Um, it, and his rookie season, it took off right from the jump. He is one of the, he has one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time still to this day. Um, he holds records still. Um, he has the TD rookie record of 22 touchdowns in a season. And then he also has the most touchdowns in one game. It's actually tied now. I can't, I can't recall who's tied him now. But for the most touchdowns in one game, he scored six touchdowns. In one fucking game. This guy was electric. He was also the Rookie of the Year in 1965. He was a five-time All-Pro from 1965 to 1969. So consecutively, five-time All-Pro. He won Comeback Player of the Year in 1969 because he came back from a crazy knee injury where he tore his ACL, MCL, and LCL um, and came back and uh, had a solid year. He was the two-time rushing leader in 1966 and 1969. He was the overall scoring leader in 1965 in his rookie season. Um, and um, he's the one of, uh, I think, only players or only two players to ever score a rushing t- touchdown, receiving touchdown, and a kickoff touchdown in one Game So the guy was all around. He absolutely was one of the faces of the league at this time and absolutely dominated the 1960s. Then at number nine on my top 10 NFL goats of the 1960s, Deacon Jones, the defensive end of the Los Angeles Rams. He played from 1961 to 1971. Now, unfortunately, with these defensive players that I'm going to discuss in this list, we don't really know the amount of sacks that they had. But Deacon Jones, still to this day, um, if you count his sacks, he is in the top five. I believe the top three all time for sacks. He's got a total of 173 and a half sacks and two interceptions. This guy was a quarterback killer. As a matter of fact, he coined the term sack. He was a two-time Defensive Player of the Year in 1967 and 1968. He was a five-time All-Pro from 1965 to 1969. He led the league in sacks five times in 1964, 1965, 1967, 1968, and 1969. The guy, nobody fucking dominated defense like Deacon Jones did, except for maybe a couple of other players. Deacon Jones, he didn't... he would, listen to this, he wasn't even supposed to play football. He They just happened to, uh, some scouts for the Rams just happened to be at his college, and I believe they saw him running, and they just were like, dude, that, that guy's fast. He looks like he could be a good defensive end. They brought him in, they drafted him, and Deacon Jones would go down in history as one of the greatest defensive ends of all time, and he was a beast. You watch some fucking... Deacon Jones highlights, and you will be like, holy shit. Imagine being a quarterback on the receiving end of that dude. No thank you. Then at number eight on my top 10 NFL Goats, Henry Jordan, the defensive tackle of the Green Bay Packers. He played from 1959 to 1969. That's right. This guy played before the Super Bowl era. Uh, You're you're also going to hear that in in a a few of these guys because, uh, you know, the Super Bowl era didn't really begin until uh 65, I believe yeah 65, 64 in that that era. So you're gonna some of these guys actually are just champions and not Super Bowl champions because it's before the Super Bowl era and Henry Jordan is one of those dudes. as a matter of fact, the team that dominated the 1960s, if you do not know, was the Green Bay Packers. and uh, Henry Jordan was a huge reason why they were so dominant. Of course, there were many other reasons why and there are a couple of uh, his other teammates who make this list. But Henry Jordan was a motherfucking beast. This guy is a five-time NFL champion and a two-time Super Bowl champion. So he is technically a seven-time champion. He won championships in 61, 62, 65, 66, and 67, and then was also a winner in Super Bowl one and two. He is a seven-time all pro, 60, 1960 to 1964, 1966, and then 1967. The guy was one of the most dominating forces on the defensive side of the ball ever. Um, and, and this this Packers defense, you know, you hear a lot about the offense, but this Packers defense was one of the first most dominating, dominating defenses you will ever have seen in the history of the league. If you have not watched old Green Bay Packers highlights, do yourself a favor and watch some old Green Bay Packers highlights. You will see some amazing football, but some amazing defense. And Henry, Henry Jordan was the leader of this squad. Then at number seven on my top 10 NFL Goats of the 1960s. Lance Allworth, the wide receiver of the San Diego Chargers. He played from 1962 to 1970, and then he also played a couple of seasons with the Dallas Cowboys after that. Uh, but if you want to talk about the most dominant wide receiver of this era, it is Lance Allworth. I mean, the guy's numbers are out of control. Uh, he ended up with 10,266 receiving yards and 85 touchdowns. He um, He won. He, he was an AFC champion in 1963, He was the AFL Player of the Year in 1963. He's a six-time All-Pro from 63 to 68. Uh, He was the receiving leader in uh, 1965, 1966, and 1968. He also was the TD receptions leader in 1964 through 1966. And, I mean, really, he just dominated the league. Uh, Every single year Lance Allworth played, he dominated the league. And then he finally was able to win a Super Bowl with the Cowboys, Um, In the 70s, but in the 60s, this guy was one of the most reliable receivers of all time. He was electric. He could beat you going deep. He was just so damn good and was the receiver of the 1960s. Then at number six on my top 10 NFL Goats of the 1960s, Bob Lilly. The defensive tackle of my Dallas Cowboys. He played from 1961 to 1974. I personally refer to him as the number one Cowboy. Uh, most people call him Mr. Cowboy. The reason why, he was the first uh, pick by the Dallas Cowboys. He was the first uh, Dallas Cowboy to be inducted into the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was the first uh, Dallas Cowboy to be inducted into the Ring of Honor um, at the Cowboys Stadium. He is basically The Dallas Cowboys. This guy was one of the most hard-nosed, hard-working defenders ever. Um, And he was the face. He was the first face of the Dallas Cowboys. That's why I call him the number one cowboy. Because he was the first to do everything as a Dallas Cowboy. And if you are a Cowboys fan, you better fucking know who Bob Lilly is. Because this is the number one Cowboy. This is the Cowboy. This is the Dallas Cowboys. Bob freaking Lilly. Won a Super Bowl and Super Bowl VI. Um, Some of his career stats, we obviously don't have how many career sacks he has, but he does have 18 fumbled returns, one interception, and four touchdowns. He was a seven-time All-Pro from 1964 to 1969, and then in 1971, And like I said, as far as defenders go, in the 60s, he was the most dominant. He was the number one Cowboy. He was the face of this franchise. He was the first guy to do it all for the Cowboys. When you look at the Cowboys throughout history who have just been the face of that franchise, Bob Lilly is where it started. He was our number one dude. That is the number one Cowboy, and he absolutely was a part of this doomsday defense that just dominated the NFL in the 1960s, and he was the reason why. Then at number five on my top 10 NFL goats of the 1960s, Dick Butkiss, the linebacker of the Chicago Bears, played from 1965 to 1973. Uh, his some of his career numbers, because of course we don't have sacks for him. He had 22 interceptions and 27 fumble returns. He is a two-time Defensive Player of the Year in 1969 and 1970. Also, five-time All-Pro, 1965 and then 1968 to 1970 and then 1972. He was one of the most feared defenders to ever play the game. Um, I I sing the praises of Dick Butkus. Have been doing it on this show for many years now, um, just because he is he is football. Uh, if you look at line the linebacker position, I mean this guy. He was just football, and he he was so much fun to watch. When I watch Dick Butt Kiss highlights, I'm just in absolute awe watching what this guy does. I, I like I said about Deacon Jones. I can't imagine being a quarterback on the receiving end of that. It's times a million when you got Dick Butt Kiss running at your motherfucking ass. Then in number four on my top ten NFL goats of the 1960s, one of the most dominating quarterbacks period in the history of the league. I've really never talked about him much, which is weird, Um, and that would be Johnny Unitas. Uh, He was the quarterback of the Baltimore Colts. He played from 1956 to 1972, so that was a long-ass career. He has been around the block. He was basically the first star quarterback. Um, There were a couple of this era, but Johnny Unitas was exceptionally dominant in every single way shape and form. He is a three-time champion. He won in 1958, 1959, and 1968. Then he was also a Super Bowl champion. He won Super Bowl 5. He was a league MVP in 1959, 1964, and 1967. He's a five-time all-pro in 1958, 1959, 1964, 1965, and 1967. He led the league in passing yards in 57, 59, 60, and 63. He led the league in touchdowns from 1957 to 1960. So uh, all those years just straight Johnny Unitas dominated the league with touchdowns. Uh, Then passing yards, his career totals uh, are 40,239 passing yards, 290 passing touchdowns, 1,777 rushing yards, and 13 rushing touchdowns. Really, nobody dominated the league like Johnny Unitas. Uh, this guy—you hear the name Johnny Unitas—just the name alone screams football player. Um, but if you have not watched Johnny Unitas highlights, this guy was Patrick Mahomes times a million. I mean, he—he he was such a, a gunslinger, but he just—he just had this killer instinct in him, and when you. It's just really hard to describe watching Johnny Unitas. He was such a warrior, and even at the end of his career, he just wanted to keep playing and wanted to keep playing. And even though, you know, he suffered some shoulder injuries towards the end of his career, which, of course, is a huge thing if you're a quarterback, and they were to his throwing shoulder as well. So he had some issues, especially in the Super Bowl era, because, uh, like I said, he won Super Bowl five, but he actually was replaced um, in that, that game. Um, and actually, over that that kind of more, I want to say like three to five year period in that that Super Bowl era of the NFL, Johnny Unitas wasn't a consistent starter. He was either injured or they would replace him with uh, God, what's his name? Moral, Moro, Moral, fuck, I can't remember the the quarterback's name, but uh, uh, Earl Mor- Moral, Earl Moral, I believe it, is who. Uh, who Unitas basically was battling for his starting quarterback position with for the last couple of seasons of his career. But with Johnny Unitas, he just kept battling it and kept battling it and just wanted to keep playing. And when you when you talk about tough guys and just warriors of the NFL, Johnny Unitas was that. And if you have never watched Johnny Unitas highlights, do yourself a favor and watch yourself some Johnny Unitas highlights. I mean, any of these guys that I'm talking about are really – Any era of football, if you are just a person who loves football, just go back and watch some of this shit. It's is—it's insane to see how much the game has changed for the good and for the worse in in both directions. But it doesn't matter what the rules are and what's happening in those eras. You will just see some amazing football players. And uh, Johnny Unitas was 100% one of them. And he dominated the 50s and the 60s and is one of the most decorated quarterbacks ever, to touch a football. Speaking of great quarterbacks, there was only one quarterback I put ahead of Johnny Unitas. I know most people will not put him ahead of Johnny Unitas, but I did because I have a great amount of respect for number three on my top 10 GOATs, uh, NFL GOATs of the 1960s, and that is Bart Starr, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. He played from 1956 to 1971. I feel like a lot of people don't put him above Unitas because they... Because basically, this entire Packers team is in the Hall of Fame. That should not be held against Bart Starr. Because guess what? Bart Starr is also in the Hall of Fame. He is one of the most accurate quarterbacks of all time. And that is why I put him above Unitas. Unitas, ironically, was more of a gunslinger like Brett Favre, the old Green Bay Bay Packers quarterback. Bart Starr was so accurate. He just delivered the ball with precision and just went out there and did his job. He was also a leader of men. And for me, I just put Starr above Unitas just because he wasn't, you know, Unite, like I said, Unitas was a gunslinger. So he would have that mentality where he would just fucking throw the ball like Josh Allen does. You know, sometimes you're like, Josh Allen will throw this crazy play. And you're like, oh, my God, that was insane. And then he'll throw the stupid interception. And you're like, that was fucking dumb. That was Unitas. And so, to me, Bart Starr is above him slightly just because, because, I mean, when you look at championships, they have about the same amount of championships. But Bart Starr, and, and their the end to their careers, kind of similar, because uh, Bart Starr didn't have an amazing end to his career either. But really, when you look at the end of the majority of careers, they don't usually end well. Um, but Bart Starr, to me, was the face of the league at this time. Uh, he was a bit more accurate and a bit more reliable in the, the cr- clutch and crucial moments, more so than Unitas to me. So that is why I put Bart Star just one spot above Unitas. I feel like I, I get the arguments over uh, of Unitas over Bart Starr, but for me personally, I have so much respect for Bart Star. And when I watch Bart Star's game, it's like whoa. I I, He's just such a fun quarterback to watch, and there's just been so many plays I've seen of him where I'm like, just whoa, this guy's phenomenal. He ended up with a career passing yards of 24,718 yards and 152 touchdowns, so his career stats are a lot less than Unitas. I mean, Unitas had over 40,000, where Bart Starr only had 24,000 passing yards, but still... It's not just stats to me, and there, there's just other intangibles that I feel Bart Starr had that Unitas slightly didn't have, but like I said, you can argue either way with both of them. But with Bart Starr, he is a five-time champion and a two-time Super Bowl winner, so he's also technically a seven-time champion. He won in 1961, 62, 65, 66, 67, so that's three years in a row Bart Starr won. Then uh, won the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl one and two. Uh, then, uh, he was also the Super Bowl MVP at one and two. And, uh, he was the NFC MVP, um, in 1966. He was an all pro in 1966. So those are kind of a couple other things you could technically hold against Bart Starr, uh, over Unitas, but I don't, these are the two things that I look at. The two stats that I look at where I'm like, this is why Bart Starr is better. He's a five-time league leader in passer rating, which is, a big deal, and then a four-time completion percentage leader in the league as well. And yes, those aren't sexy stats, but those are the two two most reliable stats basically for a quarterback. And then, of course, his championships. And he was he was the face of the league. Uh, Unitas was also, but to me, I just put Bart Starr one step ahead of Unitas. But I mean, really, they were both two excellent quarterbacks at the at the time. Then at number two on my top ten NFL goats of the nineteen sixties. We wouldn't have Bart Starr without offensive tackle, Forrest, Greg. I know. I'm putting an offensive lineman at number two. But if you actually look at other lists, a lot of put a lot of people put this guy at number one. Um, and it's just because he was one of the most reliable offensive linemen ever. He played from 1956 to 1970. He played it in 193 games. He was known as like the Iron Man, because he, he played in 188 straight games. He had eight fumble returns. He was a five-time champion um, in 61, 62, 65, 66, and 67. Won Super Bowl one, two, and then he also was with the Cowboys for a little bit of a time, so he also won Super Bowl six with the Cowboys. He was a seven-time All-Pro in 1960, and then from 1962 to 1967, so... Six years straight, the dude was an all pro um, but I mean when you talk about reliability and just the team the offensive side of the ball revolved around Forrest Gray he blocked for Bart star for him to get his his passes and the time to get these passes off he blocked for one of the greatest running games of all time was this Green Bay Packers offense and it had to do with the offensive line he was just the epitome of consistency as you could tell with 188 straight games played so there would not be this championship dynasty for the Green Bay Packers if you did not have Forrest Gregg there would not be a Bart Starr. there would not be any of these amazing players if there wasn't Forrest Gregg and so he is number two on my top 10 NFL Goats of the 1960s. And at number one on my top 10 NFL Goats of the 1960s, Jim Brown, the running back of the Cleveland Browns. Honestly, nobody dominated this era more than Jim Brown. He ended up with a career uh, rushing yards of 12,312 yards, which was a record. The time of his retirement, he had 106 rushing touchdowns, 2,499 receiving yards, and 20 receiving touchdowns. He won a championship in 1964. He is a three time MVP in 1957, 1958, 1965. He won Rookie of the Year in 1957. He led the league in rushing eight times. Uh, from 1957 to 1961, and then 1963 to 1965. So that's only a couple seasons of his entire career. He did not lead the league in rushing. He uh, led the league in touchdowns five times from 1957 to 1959, and then also in 63 and 65. He led the league in scoring in 1958, and he is the only running back ever in the league still to this day to average 100 yards per game. For his entire career, um, and like I said, nobody dominated the league like Jim Brown. And as a matter of fact, when you look at just goat lists overall, he's he's hands down one of the greatest ever. And if you want to see some amazing highlights, watch yourself some Jim Brown highlights. That guy just dominated, uh, and it, it's just crazy to watch somebody averaging a hundred yards per per game for his entire career. That just says so much about a player, and I mean, he really could have kept going, too. He only retired uh, because he had just kind of a rift with the owner of the Cleveland Browns. He kind of wanted to do other things, so he branched off into acting and then just kind of retired after that. But Jim Brown easily could have played probably another five seasons and really just grew his his legend even more, Um, but he didn't, and, and it doesn't matter anyways because he's still... To this day, one of the greatest ever. I mean, just say it. He averaged 100 yards per game in every single game he played in his entire career. Nobody's been able to mimic that. Still, he played in the fucking goddamn 60s, for Christ's sake. The 50s and 60s. That just goes to show you what his domination was um, during his era. So... uh Jim Brown had to be number one um, on my list of uh, NFL GOATs of the 1960s. So uh, my list ended up being the top 10 NFL GOATs of the 1960s, number 10, Gail Sayers, number 9, Deacon Jones, number 8, Henry Jordan, number 7, Lance Allworth, number 6, Bob Lilly, number 5, Dick Butkus, number 4, Johnny Unitas, number 3, Bart Starr, number 2, Forrest Gregg, and number 1, Jim Brown. Like I said, check out these guys. I, I mean, really... These guys were just, you look at today's game, and you could still see these guys in today's game. And that just, it just says so much about the the sport of football. And I just have a great amount of respect for each and every one of these 10 guys. And this is just 10 guys. Um, I had to whittle it down. There were a couple other guys on the outside where I'm like, I kind of want to put you in, but I can't. I can't knock off this one, and I can't knock off that one. And then there were even dudes, I didn't even know, like I never had heard of Henry Jordan until I started putting together this list. And then when I looked him up, I was like, wow. This guy was so dominating, and I had no idea who he was. And then, like I said, I've never really discussed Johnny Unitas on the list or uh, on this show for some odd reason. It's just He just has never come up. And then when I started doing research on his stats and kind of, uh, when he played, I mean, I, of course, knew who Johnny Unitas was. I knew he was one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. It's just once I started doing research on him and uh, watching more of his highlights and just kind of taking a look at his, his career overall, I was like, whoa, this guy was Peyton Manning many, many, many decades before Peyton Manning was even born. So that just goes to show you what, what kind of players these guys were. And like I said, you have somebody on here like Gail Sayers who could have done way more had he not suffered through all the injuries. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what he would have done if he didn't suffer all the injuries he suffered. Um, and then you got guys like Lance Allworth, who just completely dominated the league at their one position. I mean, really, when I look at the wide receiver position of the 1960s, it's him and then everybody else. There were There were, of course, great wide receivers of this era, but nowhere anybody in his stratosphere just statistics-wise speaking, and then then of course, like I said, you've got guys like Dick, Dick Butkus and then Jim Brown who have just been amazing football players, legends who you just hear about. And uh, rather than just hearing about these guys, check them out. It, you got YouTube now, so their highlights are on YouTube. You don't need the DVDs like I've got, like my old ass has got. Um, but uh, I'm going to keep watching those Super Bowls all the way until uh, Super Bowl 57. Obviously, I don't have Super Bowl 58 yet because... Uh, that just ended. They don't usually release the the Blu Ray until uh, like right before the season. So I've got got a while here. But uh, like I said, I'm on Super Bowl eighteen right now. So uh, it's actually weird, you know. I just watched the right now the Redskins and the Raiders are are dominating right now. And and most people, you'd say to yourself, the Raiders. When the fuck did they dominate? Well, the Raiders, one of the most dominant teams ever. And uh, if you're a Raiders fan now, you might want to watch yourself some uh, old Raiders highlights and uh, be proud of how t- how fucking dominant and good that team used to be. I- I'm enjoying watching these old these old uh, Super Bowls just because we're seeing some amazing players. And uh, that's where this-, this list came from. And so next week, I'm going to do the 70s. And like I said, I'm going to keep it moving every decade all the way up until the 2010s. So that's what we had to look forward to. So enjoy the weekend of sports, and I will talk to you fools on Monday.